detective? Thrill me. Scream! Scream for your lives! You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Oh, I know this creature of yours. When the dragon gets this old, it knows nothing but pain. Scientists are saying the future is going to be far more futuristic than they originally predicted. Welcome to Now Care More, gentlemen. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. So, celestial event. No words. You really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't you? What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Welcome back to the Phantom Galaxy Podcast, where horror, science fiction, and fantasy meet. I'm your host, Nathan Barnalball from here in Baltimore, Maryland, and I'm joined by two guests today, Bill Van Vagel from Canada. Bill, how are you doing tonight? I am doing fantastic and ready to get my sci-fi horror fantasy hat on. <laughs> and I'm also joined by Greg Bench. Greg was with us for the Wilderness Horror episode, and he's back tonight to do a little VOD roulette with us. Greg, how are you doing today? I'm Doing really good for a good Saturday. Yeah, it's been a pretty nice Saturday, actually. A very, very kind of laid back. Uh, had a good time kind of coming off of this. Was, we kind of had staycation this week at home, but it was it was nice and laid back and fun. We had crabs last night, and uh, we were just sort of chilling out today, but uh, good times. So I'm really looking forward to tonight's episode. We're going to do the VOD roulette. Uh, we were kind of sharing with Greg what it was about when we were doing the Wilderness Horror, and he, uh, he wanted to come and join us. So... What we've done tonight is we've kept the three movies that were mentioned last episode. So we're going to talk about those three movies that we picked. Greg's going to join us in reviewing those movies. And then we get to the end of the episode. He's going to give us one of his picks. We're each going to pick one. And then to kind of mix it up a little bit, we're going to have a fourth pick that will be pulled from... Uh, feedback that we got from you, the listeners. We put it out on Facebook, and I had about 10 or 11 different uh, choices. I'm going to check it right before we do this just to see if we get anything else. Put it on Twitter as well. And what we'll do is we'll get – I've got all those listed. I've kind of put them in random and random numbers, and we'll have someone throw a number out here at the end, and we'll pick one, and we'll plan to watch that next time. So uh, just briefly before we start, I have been getting a little bit of feedback here and there about the episode. seems like we're getting good uh, responses to the episodes. And a few episodes back, we had a episode that we talked about, uh, Ray Harryhausen. We did that. Dave Becker came on, and that was, a, that was a whole lot of fun. And did get a little bit of feedback that I wanted to share that came from uh, Ian Urza, actually, dropped us a line. And he had listened, and he just wanted to let us know. He said he really enjoyed the episode. So actually, he was responding to the Ennio Morricone episode. He said, "I really enjoyed your Ennio Morricone episode. One of the most underrated, or one of his most underrated scores to me is for Duck You Sucker, which is also maybe Sergio Leone's most underrated film. And it's been a long time since I've seen Duck You Sucker, but that that seems like a reasonable thought because I, I, when I saw it, I remember really liking it. He also says, "I also love his way of using famous classical music songs in Duck You Sucker, as well as the Big Gun Down." 
And thank you, Ian. I really appreciate you sending in that response. And for anyone who hasn't listened, the Ennio Morricone episode I thought was really good. Turned out really well. We had Dave Roy on. He has such a great knowledge of the soundtracks and of the man and his career that uh, he brought a lot of fun stuff to the table. So definitely check that out if you get a chance. And then the second message I had was from Dave Whitebread. And Dave is actually the one who made the comment about the Harryhausen episodes. He said he had a lot of fun listening to it, really enjoyed the deep dive into Harryhausen. And he also said that he thought thought it would be fun if at some point we did a retrospective on the works of Tim Burton, sort of in the same way we did the Harryhausen episode. Tim Burton's one who, these days, I think he has a middle point in his career where the stuff he's released recently doesn't do a lot for me, but I know I just sat down with my kids today and watched Batman and... Um, not Batman and Robin, oh my gosh, no. I watched Batman Returns with my kids, with Danny DeVito and Michelle Pfeiffer, and really enjoyed it and remembered what a strong filmmaker, particularly in his early years, Burton really was. So hey, a Burton retrospective, maybe up until Big Fish. He did a movie, I think, that I actually reviewed on this podcast in its first incarnation. It was called, oh, what was it? It was Miss Peregrine's Home for... Uh, extraordinary children or something like that. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, 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 and it kind of a generic fantasy movie. To be honest, the book is a little bit more original, but the movie just it didn't do a lot for me. He did the Dark Shadows remake. The last movie I think of his that I really would consider worthy of his earlier work would be something like a Big Fish, which I really enjoyed. It had Albert Finney in it and Ewan McGregor, but maybe maybe Frankenweenie, which was a little bit later and it was stop motion, but that you know, was a Frank, fun Frank, film. I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, I did too. It's a little bit more of a rehash because he had already kind of made that version once. But that's the last one I would say in the last 10 years that really has any of his sort of energy going to it. But yeah, I think doing something with Tim Burton would actually be kind of fun. Anyway, let's go ahead and get started with tonight's episode. Again, this is going to be a VOD roulette where we... We picked movies, now we're going to review them, and then we'll pick more at the end. So let's start with the first movie. This is Bill's Choice from last uh, episode, and it's a movie called Calling All Earthlings. And Greg is going to go ahead and set that one up for us and tell us what he thought about it right now. All right, well, Calling All Earthlings, a 2018 film release directed by Jonathan Berman. It's a documentary that follows this device called the Integratron. And it was built by George Van Tassel. And he was a confidant to Howard Hughes. He was an astrophysicist and he worked for, you know, uh, airplane companies. And he really started to focus on UFOs and extraterrestrials, the men in black, the FBI agents. So he built this Integratron that he says the instructions for the Integratron were were given to him through alien correspondence and nothing was ever written down except for his notes, which nobody ever knew what happened to is, but it's, it's, it's a film that just focuses on this conspiracy theory about a, a man behind the myth, behind the legend of the Integratron, which this Integratron was supposed to de-age individuals by 30%. And it's an interesting documentary that touches on every, uh, a little bit of everything that would be UFO conspiracy mid-century related that has developed and encapsulated uh, pop culture since the whole Roswell incident in the, in the late 40s, early 50s. And um, I, I, I enjoyed it. I knew very little of this story 
the Integratron, which would be, a, I think, a cool place to visit next, you know, if you had to do a UFO tour, uh, obviously you visit Roswell, and then you go to Landers, just outside of Landers, California, where this uh, Integratron is, and it's a unique-looking building. And I'd, I, you know, if it works, that would be great. When you get into these conspiracy theories, it's like looking at, like, an onion. Uh, thank you, Shrek, for the onion analogy, but it's all these layers. And the deeper that you get in, it's like the sweeter or more sour or more potent that these conspiracies get. And this Integratron is just fascinating. Is it a government cover-up? You know, because George Van Tassel died mysteriously of a heart attack. People believe that it was his second wife may have poisoned him. It's it's all, it's it's just this conspiracy theory wrapped within a conspiracy theory and it touches on the tesla conspiracy theories and how he was trying to make energy that was to be free for everyone he wanted to make this universal energy and that's where this integratron could develop an energy that would then de-age individuals so i think it was a great suggestion by bill and uh eager to what you guys think well if you if you don't want mind me jumping in I found it interesting, completely agree with you there, Greg. There were times during it that I really didn't know where it was going. Like they, It just kind of went here and there, and it was kind of just a story moving along, but I didn't know what the end game to the story was because it was pretty obvious the way they set it up at the beginning that he died. But mm-hmm. you're not going to... I don't think they were going to solve how he died because they said he died of a heart attack, So unless they had some smoking gun. But I took it from a different POV, like not necessarily being a big science knowledgeable guy. I enjoyed watching it from looking at the people and following the followers of Mr. Van Tassel. Because some of these people that they took the interviews with and who the followers were, were very interesting to say the least. You might call them hippies. You might call them weirdos. You might call them science geeks. You might call them outsiders. You might call them tree huggers. You might just call them people that like to work outside the grid. But each of these people that came to be talked to had their own style, their own sense, their own knowledge base that they kind of brought to this story. Like there was one I just wrote down in my notes, a weird looking guy with magical apples from the Garden of Eden. And he's sitting in this cafe telling the story with this jar of gla- a jazz gla- a glass jar of apples. And you're like, he might be saying something, but you just can't take your eyes off the guy. Like, he's fascinating. And there's all these hippies that live out in the desert and are waiting for the wind to blow a certain way, to blow their wind charm, to tell the destiny of what's going on. And if you don't believe that, you're going, what the holy hell are they talking about? In 1953... Van Tassel claimed he was awoken by a ship, and the alien that came out of the ship looked to be 28 years old, but was in fact 700 years old. <laughs> and the, the story is told in, at the beginning as he was on a television program, probably in the late 50s or mid-60s or whatever, and the interviewer is trying to get the story out of him. And even the interviewer is going, come on, George, what are you on? Come on, George, it's real. And George is very calm, very scientific, very matter-of-fact about it, and just started laying out the facts. The other interesting part about it is, is this is apparently kind of just outside of the Hollywood Hills, kind of just beyond. 
And out of nowhere, an interview with Eric Burden pops up. The singer from The Animals and War yeah. talks about how he, you know, he went out for <laughs> gas one day and kept driving there. And I don't know if he ran into Van Tassel, but he really likes this area. And you kind of get maybe there's a bit of counterculture into this story. It was fascinating, but it wasn't necessarily a linear story. No, I think that's fair. The movie almost the way it approaches this because as you guys said all the events are all over the place you imagine somebody stoned out of their mind with a topic on the internet moving from one to the other the this movie almost feels like it's being filmed by somebody who's who's stoned out of their mind a little bit not not because it's trippy but it it allows itself to sort of flit from one thing to another to another and i like that in a sense i do like that about it because it makes it this experience of meeting all these weird little fringe people, which is, to take Bill's point, is just about as interesting as anything about the Integratron, because I don't necessarily buy any of that, but it's fascinating that somebody did buy into that. And I can totally picture the, you know, uh, the lead singer from The Animals driving out into the desert <laughs> and just winding his way into this particular group of people. I think that, I think it works in a way that allows you to you don't ever have to buy into any of the science fiction stuff that's going on but it creates a very specific snapshot i think of what california what a certain subsection of california was like and may still be like to some extent in that specific time period i really thought that documentary wise they got a good flavor for how these sorts of groups of people when you have these uh outsiders that all come together and then how their minds start to work creating this universe in unison he did the director of this did an, an earlier uh, documentary called commune and it kind of does the same thing with a similar subject matter did i buy into all of it no was it pretty scattershot i think it was scattershot looking at it from a critical perspective it's not the most structurally sound documentary but again how much can we really learn about the Ategratron? I don't think any of us know uh, enough about it, and we might not want to know any more about it than what we already learned here. I really think this is a movie about a snapshot of how a certain group of people exist in their minds, you know, and, and, and how they live their lives. And in an average episode of The X-Files, you always see, you know, Mulder and Scully always meet one or two UFO nuts or people in the desert who are certain that the government's out to get them. And in The X-Files, they usually are. But then for every one of those you see, there's 20, 30 of these other people we never meet. And that's who these people are. <laughs> I mean, the part I found interesting was I was trying to follow the storyline of the FBI was tracking Van Tassel. And if you watch the documentary, which I recommend everyone do, it's only 78 minutes. It's on Prime. It's on Tubi. It's available. There's nothing questionable if you want to watch it with your wife, your kids, your husband, whatever. And all of a sudden, at some point, somebody rushed into the Integratron, took the uh, paperwork that was really important <laughs> yes. about all the essential, and burned it. And they weren't able to save any of it. But they were able to save the structure, but not the paperwork that went along with it. And so all these people for the last 35 years have been keeping it going at basically on faith. I'm going to have to guess. I'm not sure. So there are some unanswered questions that go with this. They're keeping it going on something, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> I, didn't you kind of like that aspect, though, that with this particular documentary, regardless of how true any of this is subjectively, these people all seem to really believe what they're saying. You know, I believe there's a, 
an element of sincerity to almost everybody that's interviewed. Sometimes you'll have people who seem to be playing it up for the cameras. But did you get that vibe in this? I felt like everyone everyone was saying what they actually thought happened. Yeah, my favorite parts were those two gentlemen that were sitting outside their trailer with like a rum and coke and just telling their story. Yeah, the long-bearded gentleman. Yeah, was one was like a son-in-law of Van Tessel or a nephew or I I don't know I can't remember the exact yeah, lineage of. But, yeah, you had the son-in-law and then you had the grandson. Okay. And they they were next to you, so it would have been they were father and son, but he yeah. was the son-in-law, and yeah, I, I mean you guys have it right on the head. It's a unique. Uh, grouping of individuals if it's not the the woman that's a medium that's dialing in with this i don't know what she's swinging with her hand as she's harnessing her abilities to talk with george van tassel and you know she's not she's not cracking i mean she's just full-on believing everything that she's saying and i i and i'm just i was captive i was just set captivated i just thought it was a i didn't know what to expect with the title of calling all earthlings i'm like okay where's this gonna go i knew nothing of it and it was a pleasant surprise i mean it's 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 a haphazardly put together documentary but it does all form like what nathan said this nice cohesion nothing ever really truly gets resolved but yet it's a it's already its own conspiracy all on its own and the beauty of it is, though, it does not get bogged down by the science. So if you were like me and you struggled in grade 11 biology or whatever, doesn't make a difference. You can watch this knowing nothing about science and still get something out of this film. Well, and to be fair, this is mostly pseudoscience. So I think if they press too hard, if they pull too hard on that particular thread, the whole thing would come undone. And that almost makes it more fun because this, the way they talk about this is not unlike the way that character C walks into a 50s, you know, Russ Tamblin walks in to explain why Gamera is irradiated or something. But I like that about it. Um, final ratings. What did you think, uh, Greg? I, I enjoyed it. It does have its minor moments, but I had to go with a 7 out of 10 because it, it was just, it was above average, but it just wasn't sealing that deal for an 8 or a 9 that I would tell people to go out and buy it. Definitely worth the watch. So that's where it's at with the 7. And Bill, how about you? Well, it's interesting. I was just going over the uh, IMDb, and Eric Burden is the second ranked star on this i think starring eric burden is a little bit loose with yeah well, uh, it's george van tassel the number one <laughs> since they have archival footage somebody called daniel boone so i don't know what that means <laughs> yeah there was that guy named daniel boone yeah. i yeah. forgot about that <laughs> I, I gave this one a six i i just didn't find honestly van tassel all that interesting a guy they didn't the uh, the most interesting part was his connection to howard hughes i found I found this a little bit all over the place, as you guys have mentioned before. So I'd give it a six. It's worth a watch, especially if you like science, pseudoscience, hippie counterculture kind of stuff, or if you're into California history or whatever. But it's not going to hold you like some of the other documentaries that are out there. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that about Van Tassel because I, when they started showing the archival footage of him, I thought, well, he seems like a reasonable guy. He's not quite the crackpot I wanted, <laughs> you know, in a sense, uh, from, from this. I, I'm going to be right in the middle of you guys. I'm going to 6.5, and that's mostly for, I think, the entertainment value. I think when they got around these people and they realized what was going on, they sort of just went with it. And it goes 
it moves basically at the same pace as these people. It's sort of here, and it's there, and it's everywhere. And that's kind of part of its charm. But I agree, this almost feels to me, this is more like something if I saw it on tele, like a TV special. You know, I think that's the level of documentary filmmaking happening here. It's not bad, but the filmmaking itself, I think what they found was they found an interesting topic, and they found interesting people. And they film those people, but I don't, uh, knowing document some documentary filmmakers and have, having seen some of their work and, and examples of really good documentary filmmaking, I don't think that's this. I think it's a movie that uh, you can really have a lot of fun with. And if you enjoy the alien conspiracy theories or you ever, you know, you had fun watching the X-Files and wonder where do these people come from, check it out. I was just, I was just thinking the teacher in me was kicking it. This would be a great film to show, like, a grade 12 academic level science or English class, watch this and say, do you think this is a legit documentary? Is this a mockumentary? This would be really good for that kind of figuring things out for inquisitive minds. Maybe I'll put it on for my kids like that. We'll see who puts on their thinking caps and who puts on their tin foil caps. <laughs> But yeah, hey, so good. Uh, it was a a good choice, and I, I have I feel it really good about. I was feeling good when we chose last week's uh, movies. I feel like we might have our strongest crop yet. Uh, Bill, do you want to go ahead and lead us in with a Chinese ghost story from 1987? I was going to say you don't know what I'm choosing next, so it could be more Scandinavian women in the mid Atlantic. Yeah, but that ends up being next week's episode. <laughs> this week's episode, I'm feeling good about. <laughs> This one uh, that you chose for me, Nathan, is called A Chinese Ghost Story. Uh, and it's not one that I'd ever heard of, and I'm glad that I did watch it. I'll give you the IMDb synopsis because it's fairly brief. It says, after a string of bad luck, a debt collector has no other choice than to spend the night in a haunted temple where he encounters a ravishing female ghost and later battles to save her soul from the control of a wicked tree demon. So just in that three lines there, there's a lot to compact. I'm going to tell you, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen that are listening, this film is bonkers. So the way that I describe it is going to be different than the way Greg describes it, which is different <laughs> than the way Nathan describes it, and where none of us are wrong. Okay. It's like the blind man and the elephant. Exactly. Uh, this is very much uh, the way that I saw it. So this is a Hong Kong uh, filmed film from 87. So at this point, it's still under British rule. It opens with a sex scene of sorts. Then a modern pop song with the credits opens up. Then a deadly sword fight breaks out. That's in the first three minutes, folks. So you kind of know what you're going to be getting or you have no idea. A debt collector has had his books get wet, so he can't collect, and his boss is pretty ticked off at him. He goes to a temple to sleep because he really has no place else to afford to sleep. He can't get a room in the hotel. He doesn't own a, ho a house because he doesn't have the money for it. And when he's there, he meets uh, what appears to be a priest of some sort, and a fight breaks in. At this point, I say there's lots of action, there's very strong atmosphere, and there's fighting. But there's also a strong sense of comedy to this. Um, when he's there, he finds a sexy female ghost and has sex with her. So you're going, okay, what direction is it going into? This is basically a film with elements of martial arts, uh, supernatural, fantasy, 
and a bit of a love story slash romance. So it's all that. Imagine that all with comedy mixed together. And that's what this film is. There's also some nice claymation. Uh, there's some stop motion uh, work with skeletons that's reminiscent from the Harryhausen episode. Um, so Ning, his name is, is the dead collector. And he meets Yin, a priest at the temple. And the ghost, her name is Nip. Nip is controlled by a tree demoness. Get that, a tree demoness. Um, and she and Ning is trying to free her from the tree demoness's control. There's school, wa there's cool walking skeletons in the temple that they find. Yet when people find out that he lives in this orchid temple, which has quite the reputation to it, don't get near it. It's freaky. It's scary. It's psychotic. Don't get near it. People start paying their debts. Because they figure this guy can stay out there that long. This guy must have some internal toughness to him. Uh, there's an interesting scene in there uh, in a water barrel where he's getting hidden by uh, a nip. And he's trying to be hidden and she's getting controlled by the demoness. And she hides him in the barrel underneath her skirt. So you're assuming he's seeing her sunshine state, but you don't actually see it. Um it doesn't take itself too seriously. It's a fun watch. There's lots of bad fake mustaches. And they sometimes almost come off in the middle of scenes. There's lots of uh, odes to those sci-fi, not sci-fi, sorry, martial arts films of the 70s that you'd watch at 12 o'clock noon on Saturday mornings. There's lots of that. Uh, there's an ode to the evil dead involving a tree and a girl. I'm not going to go much further than that. At a certain point, I stopped taking notes and I wrote down, don't try to understand every detail, just sit back and enjoy the experience. And that's really what this movie's all about. There's an epic final battle for Nip with an evil forces. Um, and apparently Hong Kong has a tradition of comedic ghost stories. And this kind of fits into that one. This is probably one of the higher up of those. I'm not that well versed in hong kong ghost story films but this one apparently has a really good reputation and talking to nathan before the show it was remade within hong kong within the last few years but you can tell the influences from the eastern side being a british colony at the time and the, uh, the, uh sorry the western with the british and the eastern being off chinese it's kind of a blend of that there's pretty decent effect work uh it's cheesy silly over the top but it is fun so it's got a little bit of Evil Dead in it, a little bit of more, actually, uh, Army of Darkness might even be a better um, a parallel to it, because there's elements of that as well. Worth a watch. I won't give my rating right now, but IMDb gives it a 7.5, and, and I think that is very fair. So if you get the chance, it is subtitled, but it's not exactly hard to follow either. So please give it a watch. I don't know what you guys thought about it. Greg, what did you think? I found it to be interesting. It does it does play on all the all the genres that it describes. Uh, so it's kind of kung fu, uh, a little bit of horror, a little bit of fantasy, and you can definitely feel the comedic undertones fairly quick. I mean, they they react not directly to the camera, but they're reacting to the camera. Uh, upon watching it, immediately a few movies popped inside my head, and and you guys mentioned the Evil Dead too, and I do feel that that they kind of had a, a joint uh, feeling. 
but then there was also a more modern uh, stop motion animation movie called Kubo and the Two Strings. Yes. Um, which I just feel like if maybe the individuals that made that movie are fans of Chinese horror story. It, it, this was a title that I, for some reason, was familiar with, and yet I had not seen it. Now, another one, this is even more Chinese-based or Japanese-based, however you want to look at it, but there was Kung Fu Hustle, if you saw that back in 2005. Yeah, that's Chinese, too. Uh, uh, okay, it was Chinese. I didn't want to mess it up. Uh, Stephen Chow, yeah. Stephen Chow, yeah. And then he had another one called Journey to the West, which was, I think, a Netflix exclusive at one time. Um, and that deals with this, this uh, monk that's battling different demons, actually three different demons in the, in the, to save this village. And, and again, they're not direct correlations or anything like that. It's just that it gives that, uh, the, the comedy, that fantasy, you know, a little bit of horror here and there. But it, it also intermingles the martial arts in a fun, in a fun way where it's taking itself seriously only to an extent, and it just lets the story uh, encapsulate the viewer. I did really enjoy Chinese horror story. It was funny. Um, and, you know, it had this little bit of a, a Cinderella feel because of how, her portrayal against this tree demon-ness, um, where she was, you know, being, you know, kind of ruled underneath this woman and she didn't want to be in that situation anymore so she wanted to be freed and she ends up finding her prince charming and uh so yeah i i I did enjoy it yeah i had seen this one years ago i've seen this one and it's two sequels i have not seen i think there's been a more recent update i have not seen that one the thing and i do really enjoy this movie i saw it probably somewhere in the early 2000s at a uh, actually, I think it was maybe I went with some friends to an anime convention, and I tired of that element very quickly and found the one room where they were showing live-action movies, and uh, this was one of the ones that they played. And I remember just being sort of, in a sense, blown away by it because it was a movie not like unlike what you said, Greg, where I'd always heard about it, but I'd never really seen it. And sitting down and seeing it, and it just wa- it does kind of wash over you, right? It's a so many different genres sort of coming to play. The comedy gets very broad, almost like one of those Road 2 movies or, or something, or even uh, almost like an Abbott and Costello. There are moments early on when the the young man who's uh, coming to the new village, he's his bread is so hard he's breaking rocks with it. You know, it's not unlike the slapstick that ends up in Kung Fu Hustle in the Stephen Chow movies. Stephen Chow starts making movies in the same time frame, this late 80s, early 90s. Uh, his later movies, he was making movies well before... Uh, the likes of Shaolin Soccer and Kung Fu Hustle, but that's sort of when America kind of discovered him. This point in time, another uh, director, Chu Hark, was making these movies like uh, the uh, Warriors of Zoo Mountain and, and, and movies that were doing a lot with the wire work. They had, the wire work we had all seen in the 70s and the martial arts sort of battles we'd seen, that wuxia style. But this was starting to take it and meld it and merge it with other things. And so I think you nailed it there at the end, Greg. This is a fairy tale, really. And I would say, despite we've mentioned that there are giant tongues and there are monstrous creatures and there are almost succubi kind of ghosts, but the, I would say that if you were looking at this and you wanted to say, well, what is this movie rated, even though I don't think there's a rating on Amazon, this is about a PG-13, I would say. You know, maybe 
Uh, I, I don't think it ever dips fully into R-rated territory. The sensuality is all of a of a PG-13 level. The most sensuous scene in the movie is probably the one that Bill mentioned earlier, where he is hiding in the tub from the tree witch and her and and the ghost sisters, and she is leaning down to kiss him. And that's a pretty. I mean, that's a the way they play that scene. And there's a lot of different things going on in that scene, and it's fun and it's playful. And it, but it doesn't really go over the line. You know, we don't get any. Um, we don't get any nudity or anything like that, but we get this implication. The one, and the, you're right about like the Evil Dead element. I really feel like okay, they may have seen Evil Dead Part One, but then I wonder if Sam Raimi didn't see this movie before completing Evil Dead Two. You know, there's so much energy to the way these monster scenes happen, the way they're fighting the tongue, and this movie just ends up with layer upon layer uh, in terms of genre. At one point that that monk breaks into a rap song in the middle of the movie, seemingly out of nowhere. It looks like an MTV video. The wind is blowing. He's bouncing off. That was my, my, I watched it with my kids and my kids, that was their favorite part. Suddenly he, you know, he's singing and dancing and he's singing about the Tao and all of this stuff. And none of it. I I, I don't think weird (laughs) Al could have done any better. No, no. And it's, and it's there. It's very eighties and a lot of it. But the one thing I want to mention quickly is despite all the special effects and there's a lot, of them and they're relatively well done sometimes even now with some of these chinese films they get overwhelmed with their special effects and they it's clear that they've been rushed into production i think the special effects and the sets are all pretty impressive in this movie even towards the end when they have to kind of venture into the other world the netherworld that is when i was getting the army of darkness vibe pretty strongly there bill you know when they get into that universe but there's some impressive sets there's an impressive look to the movie but the one thing that I don't think has been mentioned yet, is I actually was invested to a degree in the romance between the Leslie Chung character, Ling, and then Lip, played by Joey Wang. I think both of them, they had good chemistry together. They were fun together. They took enough time with the movie to allow their relationship... I mean, it's not deep or we're not talking about something very, very layered, but they have a good chemistry together. It is romantic. It is kind of sexy. It works in in terms that you actually care about what's going to happen to them outside of all the supernatural nonsense, at least for me. I was going to say, I think it straddled that line between finding her alluring enough to want to watch, but creepiness of a romance with a ghost. It kind of straddled that line. Yeah, and I, I liked that. I cared enough about that relationship to want to see how that was. It carries you through the fairy tale in that way. And it reminded me of older movies that would have to depend upon their relationships. Typically, the Chinese martial arts movies didn't always do that. I think that's what elevates this one and makes it pretty strong. And I think that is why it is kind of considered a mainstay of the genre. You know, it had a lot of influences as it went forward. And the sequels are fun, particularly the second one. But the second one almost gets caught up in its... It gets it gives us twice as many characters. It gives us twice as many special effects. And it, it runs out of steam a little bit but i really like this one bill what is your rating on uh chinese ghost story i give this one a solid seven out of ten i i, I could see this one if it was given a bit more push or exposure in north america almost becoming a cult film it, it is all over the map i mean you could look for the uh, romantic element you could look for the comedic element you could look for the martial arts element you could look for the fantasy dark horror element like it's kind of a kitchen sink movie, but in a fun way. So if you haven't seen this, I highly recommend this one. Give it a watch. And Greg, how about you? 
Oh, Bill stole the thunder with that 7 out of 10, because uh, it's right there. It, you know, there's no reason for it to go much much lower than that, or even a little bit higher, because there were there little things that could have been added or, or changed, but you, know, you can never control those things. To get that higher rating, it does complete its mission. It tells a, a, a good story, and it's it's a good entry level, you know, as you said, Nathan, to watch with your kids, to expose your to expose kids or maybe somebody that's not into, uh, you know, foreign cinema. This one is definitely one that's that's lighthearted, and 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 you're right, it's it's a solid PG thirteen. And, and and it's all because of that bathing scene because it you know it, there's implications of what's what's being seen and his response to what's being shown is the response that the audience would have and we're not gonna get it and that's fine but it's but it's plays for good humor it's it's action it was tight you know tightly edited and you know slapstick but a, a good 7 out of 10 for, you know, and it's worth a watch. And I, I'm going a little bit higher. I have seen the movie before, and so I've probably had a little more time with it. To me, it's a, I'm, I'm going an 8 with it because I think it's really strong. I could probably even go a half a point higher. But for me, again, it comes down to those actors. And I want to mention that Leslie Chung, and sadly he passed away in the, I want to say the 90s. I think it was the mid-90s. And he's a really good actor. You can kind of pick that up. A little bit in here, but he's not really at the full. He, actually, he he passed away in April of 2003. He was only 46, but he has a lot of really good movies. I would recommend. I think it's um, Wong Kar Wai's Ashes of Time is maybe one of his best movies. That's a very very different movie than this one. It is still a martial arts film, but it's a more esoteric, almost existential martial arts movie. And if you ever seen some of Wong Kar Wai's movies, you might. Uh, you would recognize that element of it. But he's a great actor. He was a great actor. And you can see some of that here in this kind of light performance that he gives. So I I do really enjoy it. I'm going to give it an 8. There will be people out there who see it and who enjoy this sort of thing and might like it even more. I do think it's a little bit of a minor classic. And I would also recommend that if you guys enjoyed this one, check out the sequel because you're going to get, I think you're going to get enough of the energy and enough of the creatures and enough of the fun interactions between characters that you got in this movie. So if you saw this and thought, hey, I could have a little more of that, check out Chinese Ghost Story 2. Chinese Ghost Story 3 is a little different. Chu Hark steps in at that point and he almost does a remake of this movie. And it's a little less fun. It's a little less energetic. It, it tries to be a little more serious. Uh, brings the giant tongue and all that stuff back. It, it's a fun series. This is the crown jewel of the series, in my opinion. But you, I think it is a good starting place if you want to get into some of that wuxia fantasy where they start to merge the horror, the martial arts together. So yeah, I had a, I had a really good time rewatching it, and I do think it's one that you should definitely, definitely check out. And for me, I would say it could be a buy if you're someone who knows that you like this sort of movie because you can get it on Amazon Prime right now. Check it out first. And then also, just as you're as you're looking to purchase a copy, make sure you get a copy that has good subtitles on it because I you know, think that's definitely necessary. This is not... I'm not a big fan of uh, watching the movies like this dubbed, and it tended to be that the dubs for these sorts of films were never very strong. And if you were going to buy this, you're not going to find this at Walmart. Yeah, you had to do a little bit of, of digging for a copy. But I think if you're into this sort of film... That would be that would be worthwhile. Anyway, let's move on then to our last full review of the evening before we 
to our movies. And this one was the one that we sort of, uh, I suggested it, but it was sort of our, our, our mutual pick in terms of the movie that we had selected to review. And this is, this is now the fourth movie that we've picked that sort of falls into the line of independent science fiction movies. And we didn't really set out trying to do that every time. It just sort of happened that way. Last one, we had a bit of a, Bill and I had very different feelings on the movie Starfish, which is a very, uh, it's definitely a kind of strange uh, movie. I won't say it's divisive, but it has the potential for people to take a lot or take or not take a lot of different things from it. It's not a one size fits all, or this is the obvious interpretation kind of movie. This week's movie, though, is Fast Color. It's a 2018 movie, and I think this one is much more straightforward. And it came out, uh, it was 2018. I want to say that it actually released in 2019. I remember seeing the trailers for the movie, but I had never, uh, I don't know that it ever came to theaters. And then I sort of came across it on Amazon, and it was a movie I always intended to get to, just now getting to it. Uh, it's directed by Julia Hart, and it has a really great cast. Guga Mabatha is the star. Lorraine Sassant is in it. Uh, Sonia Sidney. Christopher Denham, who we reviewed when we did the Wilderness episode, we reviewed a movie he directed called Preservation. And so he's in this movie playing a very different role than I have previously seen him in. And then David Strathairn, who I think is always good, is in the film as well. And uh, so Guga Mabatha is Ruth, and she has... Powers. We're not sure exactly what these powers are, but at the very beginning, it seems like uh, she has these almost seizures that seem to be causing earthquakes. And the world in which she's living in is a slightly futuristic world. We don't see a lot of futuristic accoutrements, but it's taking place in the in the American Midwest, uh, and it kind of becomes a road drama. So it moves moves across the Midwest, but we're in a world where it has stopped raining. Uh, it stopped raining to the point where we watch people paying exorbitant amounts of money for a half a bottle of water in a in a you know in a plastic jug and we don't know why this has exactly happened we also aren't sure where ruth received her powers but as she's making her way across country she seems to be leaving some devastation in her wake and not purposefully she comes into con we're not sure exactly where she's going at first but she interacts with this guy, Bill, who's played by Denim, and she meets him in this roadside diner, and he seems like a decent guy. Says, you know, there's a sense that maybe things aren't exactly as they appear to be, but it becomes clear that he's actually this scientist working potentially with the government who wants to take Ruth and basically study her. You know, he has all these things he's promising, but he seems like he, you know, his intentions may not be altruistic when it comes to why he wants her. And so she kind of goes on the run. He is chasing her. Straight Heron plays a sheriff who gets involved. But the bulk of the story happens when Ruth comes back and returns to her mother and her, her family homestead. Her mother's played by Lorraine Tassant, that her mother's beau. And her daughter, Ruth's daughter, who we haven't previously were really aware of, Lila is living there with Bo. And she has the same basic powers. And their powers, it's hard to exactly describe, but it, you know, there's some telekinesis involved, but then it's almost more X-Men style, where you can actually sort of pull objects apart uh, at their base level. You can almost disintegrate them and then reassemble them. And then they visually they're seeing these these uh cosmic sort of color patterns that they call them the colors these flashes that appear before them and they are representative of these powers 
And a lot of this main bit of the story is Ruth realizing that her powers or her abilities have begun to sort of like recede or degrade or kind of fall apart. Her ability to control them is resulting in this damage that she's doing. And all of these storylines start to connect, right? You, you're getting this story about these three women and this ability and this heritage that they have and then the outside world encroaching upon them. And I think that that all works really well. It's a very well-acted story. It's a well-told story. And I really enjoyed it at the level of giving me this world that I don't know a lot about and finding my way through this world. And particularly, um, Guga Mama Thoreau, at this point in time, at the time this movie was made, was really putting out a lot of really good work. She's a terrific actress, and she has been in a few science fiction fantasy movies, uh, including The Cloverfield Paradox. She can ground this kind of material, and she gives you a real sense of strength underneath her exterior. And I think she's a good choice for this. And her interactions with her mother and the actress playing her daughter, that's where the heart of the movie is. That's where the meat of the movie is. That's where the strength of the movie is. The part I come up a little short on this film is it feels... This is not the first time, Bill, you and I have talked about this. I think we may have said this for almost every one of these, barring Starfish, because it was such a, a cloistered and, and sort of sealed-in movie. It, it belonged to itself. But this also feels like it could be the pilot for a television series. I have that exact note. It said it left, left itself open to a sequel or a television series. But to the point that I feel like a lot of some of the interest, the big dramatic beats of this story, are waiting on the other side of the end of this one. And that's always a little frustrating to me, particularly when the a movie like this, this isn't, what's left for us to discover isn't really open for interpretation. It's just more story that we haven't experienced. And some of the dramatic arcs, there are arcs happening in this movie that are cut off because it's almost like to be continued next time. It has the feel of a serialized story in my mind. And I think that it kind of, because I don't know that we're going to get any more of it, it does feel like it shortchanges the characters and their their growth and their world a little bit to the point where I really liked it, but I liked it so much I wanted it to be a little bit more than it is. Everything that's there is very well done, but we get sketches and we don't get this world as fully fleshed out as we wanted. I think these characters are are fleshed out well, but their journey's not complete. At, le- at least I didn't feel that it was. And and you know what's funny about that is because when I was watching it on Amazon Prime, uh, it actually is in development for a television series. Oh well, then then okay, <laughs> that makes sense. It, and you guys were absolutely right. As as I was watching it, you know, it, it has a good intro feel. It's introducing the characters. It's introducing this color, but it leaves a lot of threads behind. And of course, after the movie, I'm just kind of skimming through some of the trivia, and the first thing it says is that it's in development for a television series. And I'm like, oh, well, this is great. <laughs> right. It just went up. Yeah, and it's an excellent pilot. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> I mean, one of the things I liked about it is there were some holes to the story, and at times it seemed like it was just kind of spinning its wheels. But I found the acting strong, particularly Lorraine Toussaint as the mom. I thought she was really good in her role. Uh, and I thought David Strather, and he always does a good role whenever he's in. 
Um, and I wasn't that familiar with the lead actress, but she did a good role too. I would love somebody like Jordan Peele to take this over because I think he could add a certain element to this because I don't think Julia Hart kind of went far enough with it. Now, if she shot this kind of as a teaser to a TV series, then I guess that makes sense. But I think you should do each movie as a standalone story. And I don't think it quite had enough. Uh, I think I like the way it's opened up because it's almost a mystery. Who the heck is this woman? What are these mysteries she has? And I don't think we ever found out. I don't know about you guys. Did we find out who this agency was that was chasing them? I, I couldn't figure out who they were. I think it's implied they were the government, but I don't think that anybody actually says they were the government. No, we don't find out. I don't believe we do who they're affiliated with or even why exactly, you know. I mean, obviously, there's this there's a feeling that they may not be affiliated with anyone or only pretending to be government. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't like I didn't know if it was like um underground group of scientists, if it was like a CDC kind of thing, if it was a secret government organization that's been doing these studies. I wasn't sure. Um, I, the movie lacks action and leaves viewers to kind of fill in the gaps. But the acting was so engaging that you kind of bought in enough to keep watching. That's that's what my general sense was. And you care about these characters and what's happening to them. At least I did to the, the extent I could watch more of them. You could, you could, but if you kept it as a piece to itself, I don't know that I'd want to see any more of it. But knowing that it's now in development to be a TV show, it'll obviously flush it out a lot more. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I think we have all about the same feeling on it. Rating-wise, Greg, what did you give this one? This was the weakest of the three for me. This kind of came in at a six. And and even though it is this pilot that's possible for a series, there was just some holes and some little things that just was leaving me empty. And obviously Bill touched on it with, with this agency. Um, it's not that I wanted to see more, but it's just that they left these gaps where you had to use your imagination a little too much to try to figure out who Bill was and why is Bill so not sorry, not you, Bill, but this Bill character. Why is he so invested on in, on finding Ruth and getting Ruth and that he has a gun and 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 that he failed his mission as we find out. And it was just kind of lackluster. The three ladies in the movie are are spectacular. The movie definitely focuses on them, and, and they do a great performance on three different generations that have dealt with this uh, special ability. If I can throw in David Strathain, when I saw him, I, I, I kind of got a geek feeling, because every time I see this character actor... I know that he's he goes in with full heart, and I I had to mention because every time I see him, I always takes me back to the first time that I remember seeing him, which was in the movie Sneakers. Yes, blind, and he plays a blind character named Whistler, and when he has to drive through the parking lot, it's one of those moments that I cherish for for watching movies. It's it's a, on a long yes. list, but it's that moment. Where it's that movie magic, and it's and it and every time he hits a bump, I'm falling 
off my seat just a little bit more. I'm on the edge of my seat because are they going to complete their mission? They got this blind guy driving this van, and he, he you know, and he has to navigate through all these instructions over a headset. And I, I'm just smiling big, and I, you know, I had to throw that out there because the incident that I saw him. And another thing that kind of just I, I don't think was ne- needed or was necessary, or they should have made it harder, was this scarcity of water. Because they only really touch upon it briefly. But early on, we see Ruth get this half a bottle. She can't even afford a whole bottle. And then she's very wasteful with this half a bottle of water. So I really didn't believe into this, you know, that water was such a commodity and so scarce and that they should have dwelled on that a little bit more for, for, for the viewer. And, you know, it's, it's some petty things to knock it down, but I'm, I'm rolling in in a six out of 10. Well, it's interesting that you say that Greg, because I saw that and I took it a different way because the minute I saw her doing that, basically washing herself off with this water and they just emphasized that she's just paid about $11 or something for this half a thing of, of, of water that, I thought that it was meant to be more of a, we're supposed to take inventory of what this says about this character or that this will be, you know, here's a piece of character building. But when it kind of is haphazard like that, and we don't, I kept waiting for it to tie greater into their ability and what was happening. You know what I mean? Like, and that, that seems to be where the story's going, right? That there is some sort of connection point between all of these things happening, that it's not a coincidence that this world is maybe slowly dying or out of water, but we don't see those intersection points right and i think what we don't it feels like an incomplete movie and there's a movie have you ever have you seen the movie midnight uh midnight special from a few years back has michael shannon in it uh sam Shepard, and uh kirsten dunce uh i thought that was a very good movie doing something similar also not giving us necessarily all the details but telling to me a little bit more of a complete story dramatically uh and I so I would recommend I would recommend both of them, but I think that one found a way to be a whole story, and that you could argue that that could have been a pilot for a TV show too. Uh, but it told it told a story that that came full circle. I agree with your saying about Straight Heron. He's he's a good actor. He's also a guy that, like you say, when you see him, he 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 just feels kind of reassuring. You know, it's a reassuring idea that oh, David Straight Heron's in this movie. It kind of like the uh, same thing happens to me when I see Chris Cooper. You know, they kind of come on screen, and you kind of feel like. Hey, this guy's here. I, I, I think we'll be okay. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, he he's great. He's always been great. I remember him. I, it wasn't the first movie I saw him, but the one that my mind goes back to was his, when he played the abusive husband in Dolores Claiborne with Kathy Bates, uh, which is straight hair and plays a likable character a lot of the time, but in this particular one, he was not, and he he does it very he does it very well. But he was also in a sci-fi channel TV series called Alphas about he was the guy who went around collecting these people with extraordinary powers. So at one point, I was waiting for him to be like, "I'm undercover. I need you." So it was almost like the uh, you know the Professor X of that group. But I liked it. To me, I think that the strength of the acting and everything it bumps up a little bit. But I'm, I'm kind of coming with you with a six point five because. It's hard to recommend it as a fully formed movie. It's definitely worth seeing. I would say it's a definite rental. In this case, it's definite stream it because it is streaming for free right now. It it keeps with our tradition, I think, of the last movies we've chosen of having an intelligent science fiction movie. I do think it's the weakest of the four that we've done with uh, 
Vast of Night and The Man from Earth. I disagree. Well, I know. I know you do. <laughs> but <laughs> I know you do. Uh, but <laughs> I think barring that one movie. <laughs> but anyway, that for me, I think, but I still think it's good. And I think it continues that tradition. And it is worth seeing absolutely for the performances and the world building. And hey, I will throw out the soundtrack. I really liked that as well yes yes I, I i will agree the soundtrack was very good very well put together and bill how about you i was gonna say for this one i'd give it about a six i think that pegs it right the one thing i did like that i don't know if we mentioned it is the some of the visual effects involving a bowl coming apart and cigarettes dissolving and things. that was kind of neat i mean it's all just computer generated stuff but uh i thought that was all right it was a neat approach to the special to the special powers where they were done in these moments of concentration and training and focus, and we don't have them blowing up buildings or anything with their with their mind. I mean, I guess the the one slogan for this movie that I wrote down was "Something that is broken stays broken," and that was repeated yeah. uh, a few times. Yeah, I give it a six out of ten. Like, it's not the worst movie in the world. Like, it's it's directed fairly decently. It's got a decent uh, production value. The acting is the strength of the movie. Uh, if you're looking for cohesiveness, if you're looking for a fully formed movie, this is not it. Well, if you're wait, looking for a fully formed movie, wait for the series, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and one one wonders if it becomes a Prime or a sci-fi or an HBO series or what have you, who they would put. Are they going to use the same actors and actresses or are they going to flip out to somebody somebody new? I'm not sure on that, but... Uh, Oh, I, I would definitely watch this if they had all the, if they got that same cast back. I think that that could be something, you know. Somehow, I think like the lead, the female. I think they'll probably get somebody else. She's, I think, quite frankly, a movie actress. I don't think she'll do the TV thing. But the others, I think, probably could. Yeah, David Strathairn's around, right? Yep. And and I would honestly, though, possibly want to replace Christopher Denham. It's not because he's a bad actor. I just don't know that he had enough of the gravitas to make that character that was only partially sketched out. He didn't really bring him to life beyond those, his mission and what he was doing, right? Like he doesn't come to life enough. And I think that's why it kind of doesn't work. Then we only learn a little bit about him. Like the Sam Shepard character, midnight special. We didn't learn a lot about that guy either, but Sam Shepard is the kind of actor that can ground a lot of that stuff, you know? So to me, I could use a better person chasing them. I think not that he was bad. I just don't know that he popped. You could probably find another character actor to do that role. So, uh, yeah, that wraps it up for us and for the for the movie review part. And I, it was a pretty pretty successful. I think we didn't have any we didn't have any bad movies this time. So we didn't have anything that we were given a one or a two to, which is I was hoping would be not very frequent. But we've done it every time until now. I, I will say the the movies today the posters didn't stand out as much as the others. No, well, that's true. Well, they didn't need to because they were good movies. <laughs> they were trying to sell us a ball of crap with a nice shiny wrapper. <laughs> the, although, Bill, you, I saw when you posted on Facebook that you were watching a Chinese ghost story. You found a pretty cool, almost Masters of the Universe worthy poster for that movie. And it captured that sense of 110 different things going on. And I, I would love to hang that on the wall, actually. That, that was a cool looking poster. But, um... And if I can find it, I'll include, uh, maybe I'll use that for our cover art for this <laughs> for this episode. So let's do the VOD roulette segment where we pick the movies. And we'll go ahead and we'll let Greg pick first this time, throw his movie out. Oh, Alf. 
<laughs> the, the, the pressure's on because I, <laughs> I, I, I compiled a small list and I just, I can't focus on one. I was going to say, I, just, to, just to tell the audience a little bit behind the veil, I go to Tubi, I randomly type in a search <laughs> word. If the title looks interesting, bam. That's where Bill well, gets a divining rod and holds it out at the screen and lets it point to the title. Well, one of them was actually one that I, uh, when you guys were t- discussing the trippy movies, so I, I, and I was just fearful that you guys may have watched it, and I don't know if you have, but it, 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 it was available on Tubi, and that's where I had found it, and I it was on my list that I sent in to LOTC. And it was a movie called Deathbed, The Bed That Eats. I love 19- that from, movie. From 1977. Oh, my gosh. And so if you both have seen it, then we can pick something else. No, I'm good. I mean, I've seen it, but I still want to talk about it. What do you think, Bill? That would be an interesting discussion. That is a weirdo movie. I put it on that list because of a, of a vague, not vague, but of a several years back memory of it and just – the the concept is straightforward in the sense that it's about a bed that eats people, but the execution is so strange. Uh, I I I relish the opportunity to watch that one again, so I say bring it on. Then that's fine. We'll go with that one. I won't I won't say the other two titles that I that. I... Well, you can hold them back, and you can we can we can save for next another time. But and I what I wanted what I will be doing this time when this episode drops as it drops, I will put the list up. So that everyone has a chance to watch along with it, and the the thing is, I'm hoping that we'll get people who will watch these and and kind of contribute and send their their thoughts in too. So yeah, I think that one I'm I'm anxious to hear a lot a lot of different people's thoughts on the death deathbed the the bed that eats, and that one does have a weird poster. <laughs> that has a pretty good poster art. Um, okay, Bill, how about your movie? All right, so the one I chose is 2020, so wow, you wow. can actually put it on your lists. It's called Accelerator. Accelerator. A-X-C-E-L-L-E-R-8, and I'll read the synopsis. A car thief's discovery of the invention of the century gets him targeted by rogue government agents as he evades them with a sassy clerk he just met. <laughs> A sassy <laughs> checkout clerk. Yes. <laughs> and this looks that it looks like a movie. It looks like a movie. And, <laughs> well, uh, the funny because you scroll down and the first user review on IMDb, and you can't trust user reviews on IMDb because if it's not the person's uncle, it's someone so critical of movies that they would give Citizen Kane two stars. But it's the the tagline says if Roger Corman was still directing then he would have made this low budget unironic fun and funny little movie so i hope that that's accurate <laughs> but yeah bring it on it it, it keeps uh, they mentioned corman we've had him involved in almost every other episode although not necessarily to great effect but so i think this is kind of that sci-fi action with a bit of titillation you know whatever just go with it you know yeah, Accelerator, cool. And, well, he directed a movie I have seen, a 90s uh, sci-fi, quote-unquote, classic called Time Chasers, so we'll see. It definitely is in that sort of um, the, the the blockbuster video 
rental wall, you know, where they had the dollar, the dollar fifty, the two night rental you could get for like you could rent it for a buck. If you rented four, you get this one for fifty cents. Kind of. <laughs> that one, that's the one. But I, I have fond memories of some of those movies. So and Sean uh, Young, Sean Young has been in a bunch of movies. Yeah, she had, well, Blade Runner, but she's an accelerator. So we'll see. Um, Axe accelerator. You're right. The AX accelerator. Okay, so I guess it's my turn, and we'll see if I pick the movie nobody saw. I think we're going decidedly schlockier this week. We'll see what happens when we roll the wheel here in a minute. But my movie, and I picked this previously uh, before we before we came to this. I sat down and looked at the list and said, "Oh, let, let me let's let's do this one." This is an Australian movie, and I'm trying to check the date to make sure. 1994, I believe. It's called Body Melt. Body Melt. I believe I've seen it, but it's been ages. Okay, how about you? Are you familiar, Greg? Nope. Okay, well, you are in for a treat. <laughs> you're in for you're in for something. Uh, I hope that you i I hope you like gore. I was going to say a treat might not be the word, but you're in for a movie. This one, I think you guys will have fun with. This is this is pushing into the street trash, dead alive world of movies so if you guys like those movies if you don't i'm sorry <laughs> but residents of peaceful pebbles court homesville are being used unknowingly as test experiments for a new body drug that causes rapid body decomposition and painful death so the special effects on this are very very goopy but i remember having a fun time with this when i saw it years ago and it's definitely it's it's if you like splatter flicks, I think you're going to have a good time with this one. And where might we find this, Mr. Bartleba? It is on Prime Video, and I believe it is also on Tubi. So uh, both places. It's uh, it is in fact definitely in both places because I'm looking to see a Prime Video here when I looked on IMDb, and I know it's on Tubi. So yeah, you can find it both places, and I think again, it's it's gruesome, but I think you have a lot of fun with it. It falls within that. It's horror, but there's a little bit of uh, comedy and a little bit of science fiction and stuff in there as well. So those are our three movies that we've chosen. So now, for the first time, we'll see how this works out. What I've explain, well, I was going to say, explain to the audience kind of what we're doing now. So what we're doing now. In the past, we had uh, Bill and I picked a movie for each other. We've just done that. We've let Greg pick one too, and then what we would do is we had kind of uh, back and forth through chat or whatever had decided upon a movie that we sort of mutually came to an agreement. Hey, let's cover this one because we want to. It wasn't just a grab it out of the air. We thought about it a little bit. Instead of doing that this week, and maybe to our detriment, we'll see. What I've done is I put on Facebook uh, and I sent it out to a couple other groups as well, uh, soliciting, saying, hey, we're going to record tonight at 8. I ended up not because of family things going on this weekend just different events i didn't get a chance to put it up until today so it didn't give a lot of time but we did get about 10 or 11 titles and what i asked is everyone would put a title that had come from youtube netflix Tubi, peacock tv or netflix uh we try not to go too too much beyond that because i think most of us we have that those streaming uh options so and i said it should be within science fiction fantasy and horror all right so now we'll choose the last movie that we're all going to review and it's coming from you the listeners we have 11 total responses between twitter and then the various places i posted it 
uh, on Facebook. So what we're going to do now, I'm going to read the titles. Now the order in which I read the titles is not the order in which I have them on a sheet over here. I took those titles, mixed them all up, and then assigned them numbers. And in a moment I'm going to have Greg will say a number, and I will pick that movie off of the sheet. What I'm reading right now is directly off of the places I submitted them on Facebook, so it'll be in that order as I'm reading them. It's not the order that I have them assigned. So uh, for submissions, we got we got a decent number of submissions. We have James McFedders gives us House from 1985, and he mentions that's on Tubi. Dave Whitebread said I Still See You from 2018, which is on Prime. Greg Morgan from Land of the Creeps came in with about four choices. He gave us 2007's The Breed on Prime. 1993's The Dark Half, which is also on Prime. Cruel Peter 2020 is on Prime, and then The Lord of Tears, and he says 2020, and then it's on Prime. I think Lord of Tears is maybe from a few years earlier. Maybe this is a a follow-up or a sequel, or it just may be the film sort of re-released. And then we have Jay Wong gave us Silent Running from 1972. He said this is on Peacock TV. And then he also mentioned another movie called Some Kind of Hate from 2015. He says that's on Tubi. Brandon S. Schaefer says Cold Ground on Prime. Andy Usery gives us Amityville Death House. He doesn't specify where it's available, but he gives us a poster that's pretty wild. (laughs) You'll have to see that to to believe it. I'm sure that's a a wild ride. And then we also had Chris Durham gave us Slumber Party Massacre. And I believe that that's also available on Prime. I think it's also probably on Tubi. So those are the titles. And now we're going to spin the wheel of... What will we have? The wheel of fear, the wheel of <laughs> the wheel of fun, the wheel of mystery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the infinite wheel of mystery. Greg, say a number. Uh, let's go with five. Five. Okay, let's go and consult the list. And five is five is some kind of hate, which is. Jay's suggestion, uh, Some Kind of Hate 2015 on Tubi is not a movie that I've seen. Uh, Bill, have you seen it? I have not seen this. Jay Wall has won the lottery this week. Yes, yes, Some Kind of Hate. And it. Uh, I'm looking it up on IMDb. The synopsis is a bully teenager is sent to a reform school where he accidentally summons the spirit of a girl, herself a victim of bullying, who takes vengeance on his tormentors. And, yeah, 2015, it looks interesting. The poster's pretty cool. I have not... I think I've seen this maybe scanning through Amazon or scanning through Netflix, but I've never seen the movie. I'm not sure that I've even seen the trailer. It looks interesting. I'm looking at the cast, and while there aren't... Michael Polish is in the, the part of the directing team of the Polish Brothers. They did a movie years ago called North Fork that I really enjoyed. Uh, there's a couple of different actors, uh, that I recognize, but maybe aren't, you know, really, uh, popular, but I'm, I'm interested. So that'll be it. So we have four titles in total. This may actually be the least schlocky of the titles <laughs> that, that we picked. Cause so let's recap. We have deathbed, the death that eat, hmm. deathbed, the bed that eats. We have body melt. Bill, your choice was... Accelerator. That's right, Accelerator. And then we have Some Kind of Hate, which was the listener choice. What we're going to do with the other titles, I will hold those titles 
and we will continue to put lists out here and then we'll read off everything that's submitted uh, for people who are contributing and putting the titles out but we will add the ones uh, to the previous list uh, we'll keep them in our sort of reserve I think Bill you have a list somewhere right where you have all these movies so the, all your choices I have a place where I have mine so we'll keep these in the vault and uh, we'll, we'll pull them out when we do our, our future choices as well uh, but that's about all I have. Greg, is there anything you wanted to mention or plug before we close out tonight? No, I'm I'm a pretty simple person. Uh, I mean, <laughs> if, if people want if people want to look look me up, I'm on pretty much every social media I can think of. But you know, I'm on Facebook. It's my name, Greg Bench. I'm on Letterboxd. Same thing, Greg Bench. If you if if you're fond of Twitter, uh, it's Q U A four one nine, or obviously you can just look up my name. And uh, yeah, I'm always willing to talk with whomever about it, whatever movie. Usually it's horror, uh, but I love all genres, all movies, and I, I seem to be like like Bill Van Vegel, and I'm always open for any movie one time. <laughs> have you watched butt boy yet <laughs> I, have, I have yet it's on my list but i have yet to see butt boy it's 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 on the list though it's i don't know you you plugged it to me before and it's like whoo it's it's just an itch that i can't scratch yet i plugged butt boy to you yep. yes. <laughs> I did. that's okay i was i said told someone to take a crack at it so it's exactly a, it's all good. so <laughs> Bill, how about you? <laughs> I'm not touching not cracks. Butt boy, but are those... <laughs> I'm not touching cracks, plugs, or butts. I ain't touching that. Um, uh, anything to promote? Well, on Land of the Creeps, that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm also going to be on an episode of Real Talk with Wes, Gabe, and Tommy about cult films. And otherwise, with Jay versus Horror, I'm always here and there with like you, Nathan, on that channel. I think that kind of wraps it up. And then Phantom Galaxy, you can find us over... Facebook, it's Phantom Galaxy. You can find it at Phantom Cast on Twitter. That's Phantom with an F. And then you can also find us at PhantomCast at gmail.com if you want to send us a, send us a message. The website itself for the podcast, it's PhantomGalaxy at Podbean.com. And if you go over to Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please leave us a review. And that does help us kind of get the, the podcast out there. Uh, we look for five-star reviews, but I'm not going to tell you what to, what to rate us but five star reviews definitely help and that's pretty much it uh bill greg thank you for joining me i look forward to next time yep, take care too, thank you if you've been enjoying the music here on phantom galaxy the opening theme and the closing theme are both brought to you by synth pop artist aries beats he's done a lot of really cool stuff in the world of synth pop a lot of very interesting genre-based retro themes you can find more of his work over at ariesbeats.bandcamp.com and until next time we are the phantom galaxy mm-hmm.